prayer. Please take your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in in several different passages, but I do encourage you if you'd like to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This, oh wow, uh, <laughs> thank you, sir. This this will be a bit um, so, sorry for blowing your ears out there. A bit more topical than perhaps uh, the typical messages as we consider Legacy Baptist Church today and uh, what the vision of this church is and has been. And this morning, uh, it's my desire that we will reaffirm this vision. That I will remind us. Uh, through the Word of God, what our vision is, what our desire is, much of which has been mentioned today. Uh, today was mentioned the non-age segregated uh, way, me- model of worship. That's a part of our vision. Uh, today it has been mentioned that um, our, our um, worship focus is different. That's a part of who we are and what we are. And we're going to reaffirm this vision today the vision of what God has to do through us in Buffalo and in the surrounding areas. Buffalo or Legacy Baptist Church has been in Buffalo now for five years. And we look back and we can see, we hear through the testimonies of God's people, God has reaffirmed time and again that He has a place for us here. That there is a reason why we are here. That we're not just uh, the outworking of an effective business model. It wasn't just that we did a survey and found out that the people of Buffalo really feel like they could use something like this and so we're just responding to the interests of the people. This is something that the Lord raised up through the leading of His Holy Spirit uh, five years ago. Uh, it was many years before that in the hearts of the, the planting family, the Grismore family, that the Lord laid upon their heart the need for a church like this in this place. And then the Lord... Uh, leading me to this church 14 months after it began. And we've seen the hand of the Lord in it all. Now today we consider the past five years of ministry, but we also consider, by God's grace, the many years that are to come. 2010, the church held its initial service. Mike Grismore along with his wife and at the time nine children, began their ministry here, flyered the city, supplied the music. Michael did the teaching. August of 2011, the church, well, the church called me in May of that year. I arrived in August of 2011 to begin my ministry. And the primary purpose of this church, as it has always been intended, is the preaching of God's word. And it has remained the primary focus of this church to this day. Since the time that this church has asked me to be its pastor, we have gone through 15 complete books of the Bible with numerous passages and different times and in various occasions. On the screen, you'll see all of the books that we've gone through since the time that I have been pastor here, almost four years. Titus, Daniel, Jude, Ephesians, Joshua, Judges, Nehemiah, John, 1 John, 2 John, Malachi, Job, 1 Corinthians, Ezekiel, and finishing just last week in 1 Thessalonians in the evening service. As we look at this list, the implications of it are pretty exciting. 
It means that if we stay on pace, this pace of about three and a half books a year, if we stay on this pace, we will have walked through the entire Bible before this church's 20th anniversary. That's kind of a, a, a fun thing to think about. It also means that we have walked through eight New Testament books and seven Old Testament books, which means we're keeping a pretty good balance between Old Testament teaching and New Testament teaching. That's pretty important as well. Since we've been here, uh, since my ministry began here, we've seen at least six people directly saved through the ministry of Legacy Baptist Church, three children from within the ministry itself, and three people from the community. We've had 12 people baptized. We've given over $10,000 to missionaries and better than $2,000 to the needs of those among us as they've come up. We've grown in grace together. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've prayed for one another. We've watched our children grow and we've watched them grow closer to the Lord. It's been a precious five years. And by God's grace, it's just the beginning of many more years to come. And as we consider the years to come, we need to consider them within the context of the mission that we have already set in place. And I'd like us to consider three elements today of the vision and the purpose of Legacy Baptist Church, remembering who we are, what we are, why we're here, and reaffirming our commitment to our understanding of biblical church ministry and our understanding of God's calling to us here in Buffalo, Minnesota. And the first thing I'd like us to reaffirm this morning is our philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of multi-generational Christianity, a philosophy of multi-generational Christianity. Young people are leaving the church at alarming rates today. Several years ago, Answers in Genesis, it's been about 10 years now since they did the survey, they hired a research group to survey uh, Christians, and it was a, a professionally done survey, very well done, a, a reputable survey company on the topic of church and found that better than three quarters of young people leave the church immediately after high school. Better than three out of every four young people are leaving the church, are leaving the faith, are walking away after high school. Now, there are many reasons for this and, and uh, the ministry has put together some good resources as to why they think that is. But, but one reason or another, this ought to be very alarming to us. Very alarming. If we were to translate that statistic into this body of believers, you look around and you were to assume that three out of every four young people in the room today when they graduate from high school would walk away from everything that they've learned. That would be very alarming to us, would it not? But perhaps it shouldn't surprise us very much when we look at the culture, the Christian culture that's around us. We all recognize that faith comes by hearing and that hearing is by the Word of God. We all understand that no man can decide the faith of another man, that the faith of another man, that, that every person needs to make the personal decision to walk by faith. Every day, uh, someday, every man and every woman will stand before God and they will answer for themselves alone. They will not answer for their mom or dad. They will not answer for their children. They will answer for themselves. You will answer for you. But we also recognize that God expects truth to be declared. That God expects truth to be passed. 
that God has chosen His church, the body of believers, to be the vessel through which truth is passed from one person to the next. Just because I will only answer for me doesn't mean I won't answer for how God wanted me to reach others. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see what we might call the, the, the prototypical passage concerning passing down faith from one generation to the next. And we who uh, are familiar with, with uh, the non-age segregated or, or family integrated movement are probably fairly familiar with this passage of Scripture. And we're not going to sit on it and exposit it deeply today. Again, uh, a little bit different for me as, as we go topical. But we, we, it's important that we are all on the same page here. And we need to recognize what this passage tells us. The emphasis that there's a responsibility to pass down the faith from one generation to the next. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, the scriptures tell us this. God speaking to Israel, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. God, speaking to the nation of Israel here, commands them to take the commandments of God, to hide them in their hearts, and to pass them down from one generation to the next, from the parents to the children. And this exchange of faith from one generation to another was intended to take place primarily in the home. It was intended to take place primarily in the home. Spiritual growth and learning were intended by God to take place all day, every day. When the family was sitting in the house, God told parents to talk about the commandments of God. When they were walking in the way, God told parents to, to tell them about the commandments of God. Uh, when they were about to lie down, when they were just waking up, the commandments of God were supposed to be in the ears of the children. God then metaphorically tells them to bind these commandments to their hands and between their eyes. Now, Orthodox Jews have taken that quite literally today, right? They have that thing called the phylactery, which they put on their forehead. And in that phylactery, there are three passages of Scripture. There is Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. There is this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and then also Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 20. But this was not God's intent when He gave that, that Scripture. When he gave that command, God wanted to emphasize that every aspect of their daily lives should be reflective of their obedience to God's word. That God's word metaphorically should be always in front of our children, should be always in front of our eyes. That what we do and don't do, what we say and don't say should be motivated by our love for and our understanding of the word of God. That it should not be, the word of God should not be vague or ambiguous uh, in its connection to our lives. We shouldn't say, well, we're doing what we're doing and, and I don't know, God's Word fits in somewhere. There ought to be a definitive and understandable connection in our ch children's minds between what we do in any given day and what God has asked us to do in His Word. 
And this is the concept that's being presented here. The family should regularly talk about what they do and why they do it, that it is connected to the Word of God. And in this way, parents link the expectations of God to the reality of life. Unfortunately, that's not how things have worked out in Christian society today. You have church and you have home. You have spiritual time and not spiritual time. You have time to talk about God and time to not talk about God. There's a disconnect in Christian society today from the Word of God. The Word of God has become a segment of a child's life in the same way that math or English or spelling has become a segment of their lives and they decide whether or not that part is important to them. And so they grow up saying, I'm never going to use this math stuff anyway. Why do I have to learn it? And God forbid they should ever grow up saying, I'm never going to use this spiritual stuff anyway, so why do I have to learn it? But that's the danger. And that's why God gave the command that He did in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that that the Word of God would not just become a part, uh, an, uh, an attachment to our lives, but literally every aspect of the lives of a family would flow through the Word of God. It would be everywhere. It would motivate everything. That when, you, when, when, when anything is done, it's done through the lens of, the, of where does God stand on this? And why, why are we doing this? And in doing so, not only will the Word of God become real to that family, but they'll see, the children will see the genuine love that parents have for God and for His Word. And they desire to have that kind of a relationship with God as well. As we translate into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 gives us this command, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word translated nurture in our King James Bibles is a Greek word that literally means instruction, education, Training. The command is that parents are expected by God to train their children in the Word of God and in the way of God. The second word you see there highlighted is admonition. A word uh, translated admonition in our King James Bibles in the Greek is literally to call attention to. And it even has the idea of a mild rebuke to bring attention to something that needs to change, to, be atten- uh, to, to, to bring attention to something that, 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 that needs to be altered, that parents are not just expected to instruct, but they are expected to guide children through sound discipline into an understanding of God and into His Word, that it is supposed to be a, a physical guiding of our children, a pointing them in the right direction. When they start to drift, we're supposed to bring them back. That's the admonition. The nurture is the teaching. The admonition is the pointing. Sending our children in the way that they ought to go. Parents then, we see, have a responsibility. Given specifically to the father, then by delegation to the mother. A responsibility according to God's word of being the ones to spiritually train and guide their children. And this makes perfect sense, does it not? It makes perfect sense since the parents have complete access to the children, have authority over those children, and have the capacity to guide and direct and to influence them in a manner that no one else does. 
If you're waiting for your pastor to, to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you're going to find that it's not going to happen. Because the pastor not only has how many children standing in front of him, but I've got three little tornadoes of my own at home. And I, it's all I can do to bring up my own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I can do my best, but I don't have the access that parents do. And see, that's why our model is what it is. Because whether you're talking about the head pastor of a church or the youth pastor of a church or the children's pastor of the church or the Sunday school teacher in a church, church just doesn't have the setup to be able to make children what they need to be spiritually. Parents know their children in a way others simply cannot. We can dress our children up and bring them to church and their, their hair is clean and they smell good and look good and, and all that. But it's not always that way, is it? Parents see their children at their best and at their worst. Children grow up with their parents as their first role models, for better or for worse. And so parents, God has positioned you to be for your children what the church simply cannot be. As a side note, can you see why society is attacking the family? Why Satan wants the family gone? Because where the family erodes, the framework through which God passes truth from one generation to another erodes as well. Through the family, God has designed the ideal environment for the Word of God to be taught and to de be demonstrated to the next generation. The Scriptures tell us this in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The debate rages whether we are looking at a biblical principle or a biblical promise there, and I'm not going to solve that today. I have my opinions. But regardless, what the passage does tell us is that God's desire and intention is that parents teach deliberately teach and live out obedience and love for God and that these children then will learn and the expectation is that they would pursue God with a personal relationship on their own because they saw genuine faith in their parents. So we see the biblical expectation that the parent is expected to guide their children into what we would call multi-generational Christianity. You say, well, pastor, this is a command, not a philosophy. Why do you call it a philosophy? Because the commitment to multi-generational Christianity guides our understanding of how we conduct ourselves in the assembly of believers. It is as much recognizing the command that we are supposed to raise our children, but but at Legacy Baptist Church, we turned it into the philosophy of ministry through which we do church, if you want to call it that, when we assemble together. History bears record that the past 50 years in the United States have witnessed a dramatic culture shift and one not for the better. This culture shift has dug itself down to the very fiber of our thinking and operation in every aspect of life. It began in the 60s and the 70s. It began through the rebellion of those revolutionary years. Uh, of course, the groundwork had been laid previously, but we are talking about a deep cultural shift that happened in those years. A shift of rebellion, the proliferation of drug culture, 
The reason why this shift is so difficult to pinpoint is because it, it's not just touched us practically. It's touched us philosophically. The, the rift between parent and child that began at that time in the 60s and 70s is now philosophically, culturally ingrained into us, isn't it? From school to church to everything in between, the idea that parents and children are almost functioning separately is, is almost taken for granted today. Perhaps I can illustrate this concept with an example pulled from a recent political event. Over the past two years, there's been a major spotlight shown upon the NSA, the National Security Agency, and its capacity to retain the information of Americans, particularly the phone calls of nearly every American citizen. If you've been following this, the government has a huge data center where it retains at least the phone numbers and call durations of the phone calls of the majority of cell phone calls Americans make on the large networks. Now, it has the capacity to get the audio from these calls as well, all based upon various elements of general warrants found in what was the USA Patriot Act and is now the USA Freedom Act. And the debate, perhaps you've read or seen the news, rages about these programs. And the debate surrounds two claims. See, because nobody, no, nobody denies that we want to be safe. Nobody denies that technology is a, a new thing and a difficult thing and something we have to adapt to. But the one side claims that government, that though the government has the ability to listen in on any phone call, it isn't using that ability. And that though they can spy on any American, they aren't spying on any American and they only will if, they're, if you're doing something wrong. So we have nothing to worry about. And this is the practical idea. Practically speaking, They've got the ability, but they're not using it. So it's good that they've got it for when they find a terrorist and at least it's there for them. So, so it's there. And that's the one claim. Everything's okay because they're using the program properly. The other side claims that the government has absolutely no business recording my calls. That I'm protected by the Fourth Amendment against warrantless search and seizure and against general warrants. And that in the words of a recent politician, I have the right to be left alone. This argument ignores the practical, the fact that the program might work right now and stands on principle. The fact that if they have the power, who knows when a corrupt government official is going to use that power in a way that he should not. So the practical side says they've got the power, but they're, they're good people, they're using it properly, and so we're okay. The principled side says don't give them the power because power corrupts. And this is kind of the same battle that we're fighting. It's uh, not really a fight, but this is the same idea that, that we, we see in, in our philosophy of ministry. Practically speaking, a program might be okay, but the underlying philosophy of the program means the program can be a problem. Legacy Baptist Church is an age uh, non-age segregated ministry. We do not, nor can we deny that age segregated ministries can be done right. There's plenty of fantastic examples of people and of churches that have come through age segregated ministries and have made it on the other side just fine. I'm one of them. Probably the majority of the people in this room, if you grew up in church, 
are there as well. That you grew up in, a, in a, an age-segregated ministry and you, you made it through. Our contention is not the practical level, though. The fact that many churches might be doing an okay job of it doesn't change the fact that philosophically there's something biblically inconsistent. We're concerned that the systematic and determined separation of age groups, thus naturally separating children from their parents, separates parents from some of the most spiritually important and enriching moments of their child's week. The child learns things and the parents don't know what they've learned because they're not with them. Children make spiritual decisions and the parents aren't a part of that spiritual decision because they're not there. And remember, I'm speaking philosophically here because there are thousands of examples of godly parents who have dug down and figured out what their children are learning and guided them at home and brought them up and, and, and led them through and the children have been fine. But for every example of it being done right, how many examples are there of parents who have sent their kids away to get spiritual and felt as though because they are got their kids in Sunday school or in youth group or their kid is on the bus, on the bus ministry, somehow they've done their duty by them spiritually. So multi-generational Christianity is not just our biblical understanding. It is the philosophy through which we have framed our church. For each parent among us must be determined that our time together on Sunday is just another, perhaps more focused, extension of what you as a parent are already doing throughout the week which is guiding your children in all truth, keeping the Word of God before their eyes, helping them learn what it is to live a life of biblical Christianity. So we at Legacy Baptist Church thus affirm that we will continue to commit ourselves to raising our children through purpose training and through a godly life example into loving God with all their hearts so that Christianity or religion or church is not just something that you do. It's not just something you put on on Sundays. It's not just something that you can come into and out of. It is our life. It is who we are. And it's how we live. Our second reaffirmation this morning is that of our ministry. Our philosophy is multi-generational Christianity through a non-age segregated format. Our ministry philosophy is simplicity and sincerity. Simplicity and sincerity. And this vision for our ministry is drawn from Paul's words to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, where Paul says this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, excuse me, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Paul reiterates here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, a concept which he already highlighted in the epistle of 1 Corinthians. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of 
of God. Paul's determination was that those who received his ministry of the gospel did not do so on the basis of flashy speeches or his enticing charisma or his looks or any number of physical or material interests. Paul did everything he could to reflect a genuineness of heart and a genuineness of testimony that would draw people not to himself, but to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that worked itself out through him as he humbled himself before it. Paul was determined not to win people to himself or to the ministry, but to Christ and to his word. We live in an entertainment generation It's a generation that struggles to be attentive for more than just a few minutes at a time. It's a generation where if the scene is not changing every couple of minutes, people get antsy. People can't focus. They have to check their Facebook page. They have to do something. They can't just be still. They can't just be quiet. They can't just focus. It's a generation that quickly loses interest if things are not consistently passing before their eyes. A generation that is so overloaded with external stimulus that anything which cannot produce the degree of emotional response that they consider uh, to be a, a level of worth is at best considered boring, at worst, absolutely insignificant. Everyone is looking for the next big thing. Everyone is waiting for something that can stir them. And churches have found themselves in the same competition. In a manner of speaking, churches are trying to compete with Hollywood, with the NFL, with gaming, with leisure, for the attention of people. The church is asked to compete with multi-billion dollar corporations for your attention. So what has the church done? It's done its best to create a compelling environment that will make people be willing to miss the game or be willing to get off the boat. Casual atmosphere, loud music, short services, lots of things to keep your kids entertained. Worship services that are more like concerts. Throughout the week, lots of activities, exercise programs, social groups, Churches become little self-contained communities, constantly active. And most of these things in themselves are not wrong, but here's the problem. How you win them is how you keep them. As Paul ministered to the people in Corinth, he told them that the only draw that he wanted them to feel was the draw of the Holy Spirit in Christ. He did not want them drawn to him He did not want them drawn to his fellow ministers, Apollos, Cephas. He did not want them convinced by his stunning ability to speak or his striking good looks. He did not want the basis of their faith to be rooted in some carnal fulfillment of their material and physical desires. He wanted every man and woman who accepted his message, who came to the fellowship, to be there because they loved the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were drawn by the power of God through the gospel to the fellowship that was manifesting the power of God among them. And this is our goal at Legacy Baptist Church as well. It is not our desire to be something that we're not. It is our desire to be who we are and that nothing would distract us from the word of God and the preaching of the gospel. It's our desire that those who are drawn to this fellowship among us would not be distracted or drawn by us inherently, but by the word of God that is preached among us. 
we desire and it is our rejoicing that nothing that we do, nothing that we are would distract from the Word of God going forth. It's great if you like our music, but I hope that's not why you're here. Probably not with me leading at least. Maybe one day we'll have someone else that can hit notes again. It's great if you like me as a person, but I hope it's not your loyalty to me. I hope it's the love for the message. It's great if you like the people here, but I hope what keeps you here is their love for God, not just shared interests and hobbies. And while we have no intention of making ourselves repulsive, in order to weed through the, the people the try to scare people away or anything of the sort, we are determined to keep things simple and sincere. Vibrant, yes. Excited, absolutely. Busy, I hope so. But the day that we lose sight of the simplicity of the gospel or the day that we can no longer minister in godly sincerity is the day that we have yielded the most precious and distinctive thing that we have for something that I guarantee you is not better. And so today we reaffirm our vision that Legacy Baptist Church would remain a church that ministers in simplicity and godly sincerity, seeking not to draw people by the modern standards of entertainment, amusement, or comfort. I hope you're comfortable today. I hope you're not bored. But rather allowing God to build the church of men and women who deeply desire to be under the teaching of God's Word and who are interested above all in pursuing the truth of God's Word in their lives and in their interactions one with another. Our final reaffirmation today involves emphasis, the content of our message and lifestyle, which is, simply put, the truth in love. Our logo says it, Legacy Baptist Church, the truth in love. Every week, the projector slides that you see in the top left corner say, Legacy Baptist Church, the truth in love. As we draw this concept, uh, we do so from the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians church. And he writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, uh, 11 through 16. Excuse me. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This passage contains so much depth. I've, you, you saw on the slide at the beginning, I've preached through Ephesians before, so I've preached through this. We'll get to it again someday. But we're just going to uh, briefly talk about how this impacts our vision this morning. In verse 11, Paul begins by saying that the reason why God gave the church its leaders, he says, first, the apostles and prophets, which Paul tells us are the foundation of the church upon which the church is built. They're not around anymore. And then the uh, evangelist and the pastor teacher, which I believe is one office. The reason God gave these church, the, to, these leaders to the church is to help the saints do the work of the ministry, to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry 
and to edify itself. Pastors and evangelists were not given to the church to be the ones to exclusively do the work of the ministry, but to prepare you for the work of the ministry. I'm not the church's hired gun to do for you what you ought to be doing yourself. I'm the one who is charged with helping you become the Christian that God wants you to be so that you can go out and minister to those in your circle. Same way my, my family is ministering to those in our circle. I'm here to build you up into the likeness of Christ. And the reason why we need this so deeply as he continued here in Ephesians 4 is because he says that, that we don't want to be like children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The reason why your pastor gets up here every week, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and prepares all of that every week is because there's so much for you to learn to ground you in the faith of God so that you are not tossed to and fro by every person that gets on TV or television or or TV, radio, there we go, or internet and tells you something about the Bible because a lot of them are liars. They're liars. And the reason why you come together, the reason why there are evangelists and pastor teachers is so that you can know with the help of the Holy Spirit what's right and what's wrong. As the church fulfills its purpose in building you up in the truth of God's Word, it is by extension protecting you from the false doctrines that would seek to confuse you and make you ineffective for Christ. And so he goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, and here we find the phrase, but speaking the truth in love. So it becomes the privilege in this church, our privilege, to speak the truth to you and to speak it in love. We don't alter the truth to make it more palatable. We don't avoid certain aspects of the truth because they're unpleasant or inconvenient. We clothe ourselves in simplicity and in sincerity. We begin by ensuring that we are right with God ourselves, and then we boldly proclaim the truth of God's Word to anybody who will listen in whatever form it takes. We don't hide from the truth because it's, it's uh, inconvenient or unbound by the chains of political correctness. We don't fear offending people because it's not us. The words aren't ours. As long as we stick to the Word of God, it's not us that's offending them. It's God that's offending them. It's the Word of God that offends them. And it, when we get off on our own message, then we risk offending people. But if we stick to the message that God has given to us, then when they get angry, we know they're not angry at us. They're angry at the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we don't have to be angry at them. We can pray for them and love them and patiently guide them into that truth. The truth in love. We devote ourselves to learning and living the truth of God's Word and become unapologetic evangelists for that truth in every sphere of influence we have. Always clothed in love. We minister the truth without partiality because love not only dictates that we tell people the truth, but it dictates that we don't alter it for their convenience. And today we reaffirm that Legacy Baptist Church will continue to speak the truth in love to a generation not just of unbelievers, but of believers who need to hear the truth more than ever. In a Christian culture that thinks we really need to lighten up on issues of morality and church leadership and doctrine, we follow what the Bible says and we reject the winds of doctrine that would seek to toss us to and fro on the waves of the doctrinal sea. In a Christian culture that has replaced truth with entertainment, we will follow the truth where it leads us. 
in a secular world that perceives our message as hate speech, we will deliver it to them with so much grace and with so much peace that as Titus 2, 8 tells us, they that are of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of us. And we reaffirm our commitment to Christ alone through His Word alone. And by God's grace, what we affirm will be validated with how we live. Legacy Baptist Church is five years old today. Our philosophy of multi-generational Christianity compels us to a non-age segregated ministry. Our desire to magnify Christ and draw people for the right reasons compels us unto a ministry of simplicity and godly sincerity. Our calling to be a light in a dark world demands that our deepest loyalty be to the truth of God's Word and our determination be to spread that truth to everyone shrouded in the love of Christ, rooted in the firm foundation of sound doctrine. This is who we are. This is why we're here. This is what compels us to do what we do and what we don't do. This is what has made us what we are today. Do we believe that we have the corner on the market? No, we don't. We're not the only game in town. Do we believe that ours is the only right way? Well, we'd be foolish if we did. But we do believe with all our hearts that God's way is the only right way. And simply what we're doing here is trying to best align ourselves with it. Who we are as a church and what we will continue to be is an extension of our sincere attempts to follow every aspect of what God has asked of us and do what we do for God's glory as a church, as families, and as individuals. So today we rejoice in the five years that Legacy Baptist Church has been here and the five years that He's given to us and the ways that He's provided for us. And we, as we began this service today, say with all our hearts, to God be the glory great things He hath done. Let's pray together.